You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to Seek Up, the Yoga Inspiration Show. Today, I want to talk with you about how the yoga practice asks you to grow at the outer edges of your comfort zone. Sometimes we refer to this as tapas. Tapas, Sanskrit, is translated from Sanskrit into English as the acceptance of pains which lead to purification, putting yourself into the fire, the fire called Agni in Sanskrit. Now, yoga practitioners might easily identify with this as moving into the fire, meaning when you practice, various parts of the body are often lit up on fire, and those are places we're seeking to get stronger and more flexible. There is a certain soreness, a comfortable discomfort that every yoga practitioner knows quite well. Even if you practice a very relaxed style of yoga, yoga stretches the body and stretching creates a little bit of soreness. As yoga practitioners, we learn to accept those little stretchy sensations along the spiritual path. They help us grow. This is the fire. This is the discomfort. Now, the lesson of tapas the lesson of Agni is not just to leave that on the mat, but also to take that into your real life, to go off of the mat and take it into your real life. So when we step into places of discomfort, we have to understand that this is where we grow. It's at the edge of our comfort zone where we have the most potential to, to expand, to evolve, to wake up. It's where we're unconscious, where we're not aware that, hey, I can become conscious there. The awakening of consciousness is not always kind of a peaceful walk in the park, just like yoga, even though it looks like from the outside is always very peaceful. Sometimes looking in, doing the work of the yoga practice can be confrontational, it can be hard, get into the nitty gritty of it. We can face our demons, our darkness, and that's where we learn to grow. We learn to befriend those shadow sides of ourselves. Now, the reason that I'm speaking about this is because there has been in a kind of increasing lately, I've noticed, of a particular feature where people within the yoga community immediately have to declare that they are unfollowing, they are unfriending, they are no longer practicing with you because you've committed the great sin of espousing an opinion that they disagree with. Well, I don't know about you, but... I personally have never met a single person who I agree with about everything, my husband included. If we go around unfollowing people who have a difference of opinion, we end up creating an echo chamber where we are surrounded only by people who share our points of views. And I personally benefit from trying to understand divergent points of views, especially the ones I disagree with, especially the ones that kind of make me mad and uh, almost infuriate me. Those are the ones that if I can understand where they're coming from, well, you know, I, I can grow from that. I might not agree with them, but I can grow from it. Someone that's a human being and they have that point of view. Well, gosh, I always get a little sad and maybe I'm a little sensitive, but my feelings always get a little bit hurt when people leave me comments saying, I am unfollowing you because you have now espoused an opinion that I disagree with. And this just makes me feel like, gosh, 
I want to dive into that a little bit, you know, so that so that so that I can inspire hopefully everyone who's listening and tuning in to learn how to how to respectfully disagree <laughs> and learn how to make space to keep people that we disagree with in our lives. We don't need to create little communities where everyone's just uh, yes, yes, like yes people. In businesses and in communities if the teacher is surrounded by yes people, only people who agree with them. That's a dangerous in terms of authority because it can create this kind of authoritarian absolutism around authority. This has come up for me recently in a couple of different instances. If you uh, tuned in to the episode where I talked about cultural appropriation and the usage of the word namaste, there are numerous people who said, this is unbelievable, I'm unfollowing you. Okay. Then when I shared about my decision to get the uh, coronavirus vaccine, Then people also said, I'm unfollowing you. I can't believe this. No longer respect you as a yoga teacher. Recently, Instagram has given the uh, ability to add your pronouns. I put she and her because those are my preferred pronouns. And then people contacted me and said, oh, I can't believe you're participating in this. I'm unfollowing you. As a result of these discussions, I thought that it might be useful to dive into how do we as yogis navigate this world of people who disagree with us? We're all human beings, and we have difference of opinions. And some of the places where we grow the most is when we're exposed to opinions of people who don't agree with us. If we expect to live in a world where we're only interacting with people whose opinions we agree with, and we create this very kind of insular echo chamber. And statistically what happens is when an echo chamber is created, the views intensify within that echo chamber. If we want to truly create a sense of harmony and cohesion in society and in the yoga community, then I think the very least we can do is be willing to accept that There are going to be people in our universe whom we may respect and look up to who are not always going to agree with and that we don't need to tear people down or cancel people or unfollow them or banish them or hold them up to these kind of litmus standards of purity simply because we don't agree with them. Honestly, views change over the course of lifetime and my views have changed over the course of my lifetime. And I I had uh, when I was when I was younger, I definitely had much more definitive views about life. I definitely felt this way about one thing or another. And I have come to understand that the softening of the hard edges of the mind is also one of the benefits of the practice of tapas. That as we begin to really work into the yoga practice, that we can grow our minds and our hearts big enough to hold space for people who disagree with us. And in fact, just as our yoga practice asks, asks us to go into yoga postures that may stretch the hamstring or the bicep muscle or the back muscles a little bit and create a little bit of soreness, and we learn to accept that in the body, we can accept that in our minds, our hearts, and in our spiritual journey as well. Unfollowing people and banishing them for having a difference of opinion uh, serves only the purpose to create a defense, a wall around our views. If our views and our sense of self is so insecure that we need to unfollow everyone who doesn't agree with us, well then, you know, we've got a very shaky sense of self-worth. And if we can only be around yes people who agree with us, and that falls on both sides of the political spectrum. I'm not taking sides here in this regard because, you know, there are people who 
are very, very liberal who exist within liberal echo chambers. And there are people who are very, very conservative who exist within conservative echo chambers. And then I, I and then there are people who kind of stay away from both the liberal and the conservative because they don't want to be exposed to either extreme. So I, I think it's very, very, very useful to actually interact with people whom you do not agree with. I, I benefit from trying to understand divergent points of view. It helps me grow. At least that's how I see things. Um, one person who I disagree with quite often is my husband. So if I needed to be around people that I disagreed with, that I agreed with all the time, I wouldn't be married. You know, Tim comes from Denmark and I come from Miami in the U.S. And, you know, even though the cultures are quite are close in some ways, they're also quite different. And, and, and we've experienced some difference of opinions that come from just our cultural upbringing and having a marriage that is successful, um, at least so far, you know, we have to check in with him to see if he agrees, but I, I, I'd, I'd wager to say he does. I, I, I think it's important that we're able to accept that people that we love and respect and whose opinions we value might not always agree with us. And if we respect and value someone and their statement presents a divergent point of view, I think we owe it to them to kind of pause and listen and say, oh, well, what the, what's that about? And, uh, you know, the, at least we could come to kind of a respectful disagreement. I don't know about you, but I've never met a person who I agree with about everything. No human being on this planet I agree with about everything. It's always some little point, you know. I mean, it's a little bit like going into, you know, an ice cream shop and your friend chooses chocolate ice cream and you choose vanilla ice cream. And then you say, oh, I can't believe you chose chocolate. I'm unfollowing you and unfriending you. I'm banning you because you chose chocolate never again. So, of course, if there are other circumstances where that individual's choice of words or, or, or actions harms you, then this is a different, a different case. But opinions that we share or, uh, that, that, are, that are merely representative of something that we disagree with uh, are not directly harming one another. I think it, it, we can be strong enough to learn how to hold space for divergent points of view. So this is the first part of this uh, episode. And the reason why I wanted to uh, start there is because I may say things in this, uh, in this episode that you disagree with. And I encourage you just to listen and um, just take that in and hold space for it. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm going to be sharing some information that I think is relevant for everyone practicing yoga and existing within the yoga world these days. Everyone that's on the leading edges of creating a more equitable world. And I think everyone practicing yoga, as we open our hearts, we're very, very interested in creating a more equitable world. So with that in mind, well, let's begin to dive into the discussion about the gender pronouns. So gender pronouns, what are they? Well, they're basic ones like he, him, she, her, and then there are non-gendered pronouns like they and them. My first interaction with uh, gender pronouns actually happened a very, very long time ago. And we'll discuss a little bit more, of course, about, about what gender pronouns are today, but I want to I want to bring something up that's interesting because, at least, at least for me, because it's my lived experience. When I was in um, junior high and I was for, started to write term papers and English papers and these sorts of things, I remember when I was writing, I w would have to write about 
a a person, say um, the post person who's delivering the mail or um, uh, someone who works as a representative in Congress. And the pronouns that would be assigned to this person if it was unnamed were always he, she, or I think even when I was going to school, it was preferred to use he, and then he, she was considered kind of, wow, we're, we're being inclusive to both the, you know, binary male and female genders. And I, I never, I, I actually made a conscious decision that got me uh, marked down on some of my grades in junior high school is that I decided to use they and them because I felt like if I wanted to identify a human being by their profession, I didn't feel like gender necessarily needed to be part of the equation. And I was a conscious choice that I made. I tried to present it to my teachers and they, you know, corrected me and said, no, we have to use she, he or she. And this is a, a correction that actually continued as I continued to write and I kind of tried to hold my ground on it. But, you know, at some moment I, I gave in. And when my first books were published, I tried to go for the same thing. Um, however, uh, again, the editor said, this is incorrect English. This is incorrect grammar. It should be he, she, not they, them. And I just felt like there are some things when we're talking about a body practicing yoga or a human being who is delivering mail or a human being who is a representative of Congress or um, any individual uh, working in any profession, if that person is not going to be named and designated as a person who identifies with a particular gender, that maybe we could use gender neutral pronouns so that we don't have to immediately think that this gender is associated with this profession and this gender is associated with that profession and then start to, you know, um, divide the world according to these, um, you know, gender identities. And that's something that I'm, I'm grateful about our current discussion about gender, because this is something I felt in uh, when I was younger. And I'm glad that it's making its way into the conversation today. Now, this is also very, very relevant for me personally right now, because as many of you know, my husband and I, uh, about a year ago, we um, are, we got a new space in the Wynwood area of Miami, where we have been building a new yoga center that will house both Miami Life Center and OMSARS. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful building. It's an old warehouse, and we've been constructing and constructing and constructing. And now we're in kind of the final stages of passing the final inspections. Part of passing final inspections in any yoga space means that we have to have dedicated bathrooms. Now we have to follow the state-mandated code here in the state of Florida according to our bathrooms. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on whichever side of the this political spectrum on this, uh, the opinion spectrum on this, uh, this fall that that you fall, uh, the state of Florida mandates that we have a women's restroom and a men's restroom, and that these are clearly marked with specific, uh, specific, uh, you know, gender specific signs. So, in order to pass code here in the state of Florida, we need to have women and men. And that's all we're allowed to have. And if we don't have those signs up, we don't pass code. So my husband and I have been sitting and thinking about this because we want our bathrooms to have space for all genders. We want to have all-inclusive gendered bathrooms. And the only way that we've been able to think about this is to put these signs up that the state of Florida has specifically mandated and then add some additional signage after that includes all genders. Now, practically speaking, um, 
in terms of the usage of the bathrooms, the bathrooms are totally safe, meaning that uh, in the shower room, you can close and lock the door on both bathrooms. There, you know, you get you get a lot of privacy in the bathroom. So we've designed them so that they are completely safe for, for all genders. So, you know, um, any gender human being could walk out of the bathroom and then, then any gender human being could walk into the bathroom and they would both be uh, given their complete privacy. So we've been thinking about how to do that. And we spend a good deal of time actually looking for all-inclusive bathroom signs. And um, we, we're, we're still looking for the, the perfect one. And we're going to put those up after we pass inspection. Now, if you're listening and you're an inspector, this is, <laughs> don't get us in trouble, okay? <laughs> Just come in and use the bathroom. That's what we recommend. So now well, let's return to the discussion of the gender pronouns. It is, if you look up gender pronouns online, you'll see in English anyway that there are usually presented as he, him, she, her, they, them. And then sometimes there are new pronouns presented, which they're calling neo-pronouns, which are they and sir, to just totally remove um, the, uh, the, you know, the gender binary from uh, the usage of pronouns. So when we talk about the pronouns, we are talking about respecting an individual's choice to identify with a particular gender. And this is, of course, very important for the trans community. If anyone is a trans man or a trans woman, they've worked with uh, claiming gender identity. And this is important, again, for all yoga practitioners, because people of all different genders will come into class. So as yoga teachers, as yoga practitioners, pronouns matter because this is the way we refer to people. So if we say, um, Chris walked in the door and she put her mat there, but Chris identifies as a non-binary individual, then the appropriate pronoun would be they. And this will be very hard for many people to understand. But I think another way to think about this is by honoring someone's gender choice. It's a little bit like honoring their identity or pronouncing their name correctly. It's saying that you see them for who they are, creating a sense of safety around that individual. And this is very important in yoga spaces. So when we think about being mindful of pronouns in our everyday life, we can create a culture of inclusion for individuals who may have felt excluded from the mainstream traditional society. So if anyone identifies as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, um, intersex or asexual, it's important that they feel welcome, particularly in the yoga space. So it even goes beyond kind of feeling safe. It, it, it creates a sense of, of safety. And if you're ever in doubt in the yoga space, it's always okay to ask what someone's preferred pronouns are. And this can feel a little uncomfortable around the edges. So sometimes as a teacher, if you're introducing yourself, you might want to actually say your name and your preferred pronouns just to normalize that. So that gives the students in the room an opportunity to share their pronouns as well. Um, if you're ever in doubt, you can always ask and say, what are your preferred pronouns? Um, but sometimes singling people out can make them feel uncomfortable in a group setting. So that might be um, possible or better to do kind of, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. 
Now, yoga deals with the body. And so when we're dealing with or interacting with the body, it's very important that we really think about how people are embodied and how people are embodied can be different for uh, cisgender individuals. And those are individuals who are born in a biological body that aligns with the gender that they identify with. If someone is transgender, that means they're born with a biology that is divergent or differs from the gender that they identify with. If someone is non-binary, they may be born with a particular biology that could be assigned as male or female, but their gender identity is non-binary. It's neither male nor female, could have aspects of either gender, a blend of something um, that is not qualified, not, not, not wanting to be defined by either end of the spectrum. Now, I should say that I'm not an expert in this field. I'm talking about it because it's very relevant for Pride Month. It's relevant for um, some pertinent discussions that were coming up for, you know, our new space. And because I want to raise awareness about this topic. So please forgive me if I get anything wrong. I'm probably already said a bunch of mistakes and have, you know, stumbled and fallen and, and along the way. And I think that's that that's also important that we're human beings and we're allowed to make mistakes and we're allowed to get it wrong but we're trying to learn from it. And that's that's super important. So allow yourself that space, just as I'm allowing that myself that space right now to not be perfect in this presentation. Most yoga teachers are invested in the health of their students um, and the happiness of their students. And then if, the, if there are different students that walk into yoga classes. It's important not to have cookie cutter answers to all the different questions that are there. If, uh, for example, there are gender specific terms that are used without a sensitivity towards how that may be taken by um, gender non-conforming individuals in class, then that can feel a little bit you know, harmful or hurtful, uh, even if the intention isn't there. For a a couple of examples, um, the goddess pose can be presented in some contexts as affirming femininity. In another context, it could be unhelpfully essentializing femininity as equating uh, female biology with the female gender identity. So when we use terms, it's important to think about who's in our class, how we're using them, and what they mean. Similarly, there are um, discussions about bandhas. And so, you know, I do I practice Ashtanga yoga, and we talk a lot about bandhas. And bandhas, you work with the pelvis. And there's a lot of talk about what's happening inside of the inner space of the pelvis in the yoga practice. So when the discussion of bandhas uh, comes into the yoga practice, it is very easy to just say, well, women are like this and men are like that. And I've definitely done that before. And I've had to educate myself about how to refer to the bandhas in kind of a gender neutral or gender inclusive manner. So rather than, for example, saying ladies and gentlemen, or like ladies do this and all the gentlemen do that, because you genuinely don't know there may be a trans woman in class, there may be a trans man in class that has different um, you know, physical attributes that you're assuming. So avoiding kind of stereotyping masculine and feminine energy and avoiding uh, just making broad general assumptions based on gender binaries, there are different ways to refer to the bandhas. For example, the muscles of the pelvic floor 
include all genders. You know, the activation of the muscles which control, um, you know, the anus and the urethra. So these are two biological functions that are present in all genders. The perineum is that androgynous strip of flesh between um, the genitals and the anus that attaches to the sitting bones. It's a very specific anatomy, um, you know, in the that inner space of the pelvis. Another thing to remember is that um, particularly gender nonconforming people may have uh, just get triggered by thinking about their genitalia or thinking about their pelvis. And even people that fall, that are not gender nonconforming, uh, going down into the pelvic region is a place of, you know, p- potential past trauma. And it's a very sensitive area. So this is important to proceed with as much kind of consciousness as possible. Now, when we move into cueing throughout the body to think about how you can be inclusive with how you're thinking about your own body and how you're talking about the body in terms of anatomy. So educating yourself, if you're a yoga teacher, to be better equipped and effective to engage with uh, the different types of gendered people that would come into your class is extremely important. Speaking up uh, for in favor of inclusion is also very, very important to make sure that everyone feels like they have a space in your class and to be humble and step outside of your comfort zone because you're the leader, if you're the yoga teacher. So it's not just about, you know, getting stickers and flags and waving the flag and saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's really about what can you do and take real actions to create spaces that are truly just truly inclusive. And how can you normalize inclusivity, whether that's asking for pronouns, whether that's um, honoring people who uh, seek to uh, use different pronouns than you're uh, used to. If your yoga studio doesn't have an inclusivity and equity policy, you can always advocate for that and talk about, well, hey, bring bring up the issue and say, hey, how can we make this space more safe for uh, gender nonconforming people, for transgender and non-binary people who come and practice? Better yet, if there's a teacher who's gender nonconforming or non-binary themselves, that could be a great addition uh, to the community of yoga teachers in your space because, you know, representation really, really does matter. And it kind of, you know, just acts as a mirror to reflect uh, what the internal culture is. And this is something that, you know, our, our thoughts and our beliefs are expressed in our actions. So we can, we can make a big, we can make a, a, you know, a big statement by actually lifting up voices from within the, you know, LGBTQIA community and, and having those voices, not just be student voices, but also be teaching voices. Now, another thing that is, again, just really important to think about is how, how students inter- interacting with bodies in the yoga practice. So in the practice of Ashtanga yoga, we really rely on hands-on adjustments. And this is true even in the post-coronavirus times. I've been teaching in-person classes here in Florida. And one of the things that uh, I've updated in in my teaching is to uh, really rely on consent-based adjustments and to uh, really involve the student in the teaching of, you know, asking for help or asking, you know, would you like some help with this? Would you like to try this? Rather than operating from kind of the, you know, authoritarian hierarchical paradigm, which is we're going to do this today. This is what you do. This is a kind of 
important space to navigate that encourages the agency of the student while also maintaining the authority of the teacher because there's a reason the student is coming to class, whether they want support or a community, but they also may want to learn from the expertise of the teacher. So how can the teacher provide a sense of authority while uh, maintaining the student's agency? And when we're talking about um, uh, doing that within the framework of uh you know, gender non welcoming gender non-conforming students into class. The important thing to remember is that uh, yoga classes can create a, a space of trust and safety uh, for people who may have faced uh, continued oppression. So, but only if that space is actually inclusive and sensitive. So sometimes being consistent in communication and sort of non-directive in teaching approaches can create the space for the student to find agency while, again, making space for the teacher's authority. And I think that's kind of like a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Now, what do we do if we get it wrong? So what do we do if, you know, uh, we don't uh, ha uh, we're not able to create uh, a safe space. What if we use the wrong pronouns? What if we, you know, just just get it wrong, make you know, a whole host of mistakes? And then what can we do? Well, we first of all uh, can reflect and think about regulating our own emotional response. We can take accountability for the harm that was caused. We can take a breath, apologize, and move on with the conversation. What what I find can sometimes do is to um, go too much into over-apologizing. And we constantly refer, oh, I'm so sorry I did. We're three days later, we're still apologizing. And then we end up uh, centering our own mistake and our own feelings around the mistake instead of just kind of internalizing that and saying, okay, I took that on. I did that. I'm going to process my own guilt. I'm just going to do better next time. So then we, you know, we, it, it, this is something I, I think we've all done, you know, over-apologizing. So when whenever we've made a mistake, I think it's important to acknowledge the mistake and apologize and take corrective action. But then we, of course, want to find that balance where we're not over-apologizing. So on the other hand, if you notice other people making mistakes, this is not, uh, you know, we're also not kind of trying to weaponize uh, pronouns and say, oh, you've said it wrong, or you're someone who doesn't recognize pronouns, you're bad, you're banned. And then we go back into unfollowing people and dividing people and, you know, uh, generating more harm and, uh, you know, than, than, than we would do. Uh, otherwise, so 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 here we are. We're on. We're in a world now where yoga is spreading all over the world. Some people don't even realize that yoga comes from India, but it's important to recognize that yoga has a root, uh, and it represents a spiritual practice from a, an ancient culture within India. Many people practicing yoga these days are drawn to the practice as a safe space. Uh, as a space that represents the possibility of equity and justice for, for all and a place to access kind of our higher self and our authenticity. So if we're called to that, then yoga can genuinely be a place where we can be an ally for all beings. And there are some people who will take that into activism. There are some people who will take that into the private work of uh, kind of dismantling structures of bias within the mind and within within ourselves as individuals just to be better human beings moment to moment. Uh, then there are those of us who may engage in public discussions. Uh, there are ways that we can keep ourselves accountable by showing up in community. Uh, we can think about what 
what actions we take moment to moment, what sorts of companies we engage with, what sorts of, um, you know, structures of society we engage with, what sorts of friends we engage with. And, and as I mentioned before, how we can think about um moving out of complacency and moving out of feeling, oh, I have too much on my plate. How can I possibly take this on also? Because we want to think about just as in our yoga practice, we integrate this concept of facing adversity into every practice. We want to think about integrating the concept of facing adversity into our lives so that we can take the energy that we get from the yoga practice and use it to make our, our world, you know, just a, a, a better place. And this is this is the reason that I practice, and it's the reason that I think many, many people practice, because we feel better each time we get off of the mat. And if we're not using that goodness to make the world a better place, well, what are we doing with the yoga practice, you know? There's space in yoga for people of all genders. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I don't want to go around and tell people what, um, what's right or wrong in terms of, you know, how they want to live their lives. I, I feel like the best, one of the best lessons we can get from the practice of yoga is to learn how to grow big enough to allow people the space to be who they are. And then we can do our work to honor that space. And in the honoring of the space of other human beings, then we can grow our boundaries, our, our limits, and challenge the edges of the mental, spiritual, and emotional comfort zones and become more evolved, more awake. One of the things that I think, you know, I think about is, gosh, imagine if gender weren't an issue, if you could just be whoever you wanted to be, male, female, non-binary, trans, queer, intersex, asexual, what if gender was just not part of the issue? And I just, I wonder if some people, um, you know, it's like this pipe dream of saying, well, I just, I don't see color, I don't see gender. And it's this world of, you know, of a fantasy because gender is in fact a, a very poignant part of all of our lives. You know, they're, they're the clothes we wear, the you know, the the style and manner with which we speak and all of these things tell a story about our gender. So wanting to just not have to think about it is kind of a form of escapism or denialism or perhaps even a great statement of privilege that we just fit so well within the societal norms that we've never had to kind of question, you know, what gender do I fit into? What toy should I should I play with? What um what uh you know what what's what's quote unquote normal and am I normal? We never had to ask those questions at probably a statement of of gender privilege and and if you've never thought about that think about that there are people out there who have been ostracized made fun of because they didn't fit into the norms and that they're they're hurting because of that and there are people who walk into a store they may want clothes from both uh, the male and the female sections and um, you know, and, and that, that should be okay. Uh, there, uh, we should be allowed, you know, as we say in the United States, it's a free country. So if it's a free country, then let everyone do what they want to do, <laughs> you know, as long as we're not asking someone else to, uh, do exactly what we do. There's space for us to be who we are. And I think that's, that's, uh, the least of the, the lessons that we can bring into the, onto uh, our lives from the practice of yoga. So when you come visit us here in Miami one day, I hope we'll be able to find those uh, all-inclusive bathroom signs. And I hope you'll feel comfortable in the bathrooms regardless of which gender you identify with and that there's space for everyone. When you unroll the mat and you practice, 
one of the things that we all hope that you'll feel in our classes is that you'll feel totally safe and totally welcomed, regardless of what gender you identify with and and whatever level of ability you come in and um, whatever size or age or religion you are, that our space is a welcoming space for all. And that's super important for us. In conclusion, I'd like to share that yoga helps every single practitioner become more embodied, more whole. And that eventually, perhaps, once we transition out of this body on this earth, we will move into a realm of spirit, a spirit which may be transcendent of gender, where the unification of polarities creates a feeling of oneness. And maybe in oneness, the polarities of gender and the binaryism of gender dissolve. And perhaps, as the great shimmering oneness presented in Advaita Vedanta becomes real for each of us, perhaps, perhaps we can see beyond the horizon of the binary nature of uh, any sort of opposing forces, whether good, bad, male, female, sun and moon, this and that, black or white. Perhaps there is a space in the purity of spirit where we are all one. And this is what yoga seeks to reach for, for sure. In the meanwhile, as we're here on this earthly plane, this third dimensional plane, this earthly plane in this body, inhabiting in this space, we cannot turn our eyes away from the realities of our world, day and night, of what may be harmful and what may be helpful, and of the real impact of actions that we take moment by moment. One of the best definitions of a yogi that I've heard is that we seek to leave the world in a better place. Every time we enter and exit any circumstance, we seek to make the space a little bit better. If every person practicing yoga can make our world a little bit of a better place by non-harming others, by lifting others up, by healing ourselves and healing others, then, then this practice, little by little, as drops in the ocean, has a potential to truly change the world. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.